Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Maria Altman. We're speaking with St. Louis Public Radio photographer Carolina Hidalgo, who recently returned from a fellowship project in Mexico supported by the International Women's Media Foundation as part of its Andalante Latin America Reporting Initiative. She joins me in studio alongside local activists Elizabeth Vega and Kathy Daniels, also known as Mama Cat, who are part of a group of local activists who recently protested the Trump administration's border policies in El Paso. Texas. Carolina, Elizabeth, Kathy, thank you so much for being here. Um, Carolina, I wanted to start with you. How did your trip to the southern U.S. border come about and where exactly did you travel? So I applied for an opportunity to report from the border with the International Women's Media Foundation, which is a group that does programs and grants for women journalists so that um, we can cover underreported stories and gain some international reporting experience. So this specific trip, we had some training in Mexico City and then we reported from Ciudad Juarez and then Tijuana. And we also were able to cross the border so we could report from El Paso and from San Diego. Okay. And you were there for what, roughly two, three weeks? About three weeks total. Wow. That's an incredible opportunity. Um, Give us an overview of what you saw while you were there. I mean, I know that there have been, it's really been a spike in the number of migrants coming to the border in the last few months. Yeah, so I spent some time at a shelter in Juarez where there was actually a shelter that mostly had people from Cuba. um, And it was a temporary shelter that was set up by city and state officials because the main shelter, Casa del Migrante, had kind of reached capacity a few months earlier. And so they opened this temporary shelter to house a few dozen people. But um, over the span of a few months, it kind of, the number of people kept climbing. And there were, when I was there, about four to 500 people at that specific shelter, which was um, inside a, they were using a high school gym, kind of like a, a sports complex gym that the, that the city park had allowed them to use. Wow. What were the conditions like? It was kind of just the, if you can picture the basketball court, like a big basketball court with the stadium seating kind of going up and those blue gym mats. So the gym mats were just kind of laid out and everyone had their little mat and all of their belongings that they had with them um, spread out on the basketball court. Wow. And, you know, in talking about the number of migrants that have come to the border, there's been this process that the Trump administration has put in place with the port of entries called metering, which is slowing down those who are seeking asylum. So there are more people sort of, I guess, waiting at the border. Is that accurate? Yeah. So even though by law, anyone who crosses into the United States is allowed to then apply for asylum and go through a, what they call a credible fear interview with an asylum officer who decides whether they have a credible fear of being persecuted. Um, so even though that's allowed by law, what the Border Patrol agents have been doing since last year is kind of stopping people before they can get in into the port of entry and not allowing them to get in, which they call metering or queue management. Um, And so what people have started doing is making these unofficial lists to see whose turn it is 
So in Juarez, the list is organized by one of the shelters. In Tijuana, the asylum seekers themselves keep this notebook of people. And so when people arrive, they kind of get an estimate. There's no real way to know how long it will take. But in Juarez, around November, the wait to be allowed into the United States to actually apply for asylum was about a week or two. And then by... By March, they were telling people that it might take two months for their turn to go into the port of entry. So a very, very big change. Elizabeth and Mama Cat, I want to turn to you. You're certainly no strangers to speaking out yes. and, and being activists here in St. Louis. What about what's happening at the border drew you to, to speak out and to actually go? I'll start with you, Elizabeth. Um, it's the connections of um, the things that we saw in Ferguson and the way that they treated Mike Brown, the disregard for his humanity, is the same disregard that they're showing people at the border. It's the root of the same tree. And we feel like we are compelled to fight injustice everywhere, not just in our hometowns, Um, but also in other places as well. I grew up in that area and I've seen the transformation of the border in my lifetime from um, a place where people could, you know, go back and forth freely to a militarized zone. And, um, you know, when we went to the Tornillo camp, the first time that I saw it, I, I mean, I was just astounded. It was a prison, a tent prison camp in the middle of the desert, 20 miles from a major city that was filled with teenagers. Um, you know, the, the number of teenagers in that um, um, tent camp um, quadrupled in the matter of a month or two and felt like when there is a tent prison camp of teenagers that someone needs to stand up against that. And it had definite connections to um, to Ferguson. And we were prepared to, you know, Ferguson was like boot camp for us. Yeah, and, Mom, Mama Cat, I mean, I'd like you, you to jump in. I mean, for you, what drew you there? The babies, the children, um, those are all of our children. And the way that they were treated uh, was less than humane on so many levels. Um, you know, we, um, like Vega say, uh, Ferguson was like boot camp for us, um, Revolution 101. Um, and so, you know, my, my main thing was, you know, these kids, they don't deserve that. You know, in a tent, they had them in tents. I mean, we went down there and like my mouth kind of fell open, you know. But what was even worse mm-hmm. is when we arrived, we was there for what, about 30 minutes mm-hmm. and we received the call that ICE was dumping people at the Greyhound station in El Paso. So we went there and the scene that was before us, um, you really had to be there and see it to believe that it was even a thing that was possible. I mean, what does it say about a country when a tent prison camp brimming with teenagers who are, you know, in a prison camp is actually the lesser of many evils. 
Mm -hmm. And, you know, the condition of the children, the condition of the families that were in the hileras, um, you know, and held there in in completely inhumane conditions Mm -hmm. for weeks at a time and then dumped out into the streets of El Paso with no resources. People had no shoelaces. People had no socks. Babies had no coats. People were dehydrated and malnourished. Um, sores all on the mouth. The kids had these sores all over their mouth. A baby had pink eye. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was just horrible. Well, talk about how the activism that you've experienced here was was different than when you got to the border. And what, you know, because there was a lot of on the streets protests. What's happening there? How did you approach it differently? I think that, you know, I mean, from my perspective, you know, it was as though, like, the people down there, they want to fight back, but it's a fear that's down there. Um, this We in deep red Texas, you know, and people are afraid to speak out against uh, injustice in a lot of uh, forms. I think they felt empowered a little bit that they had people that was willing to stand with them, uh, But at the end of the day, you know, we go home and they still there. And I think that that's part of the dilemma is that there is a manufactured humanitarian crisis Mm -hmm. on the border. Mm -hmm. And when you say manufactured, explain that. Um, So obviously our own immigration policies are are just horrifically broken. Mm -hmm. But they're um, being made worse by um, the zero tolerance policy, the child separation, and then the way that um, that they're trying to um, show that there's a crisis on the border, they're creating the crisis. So one of the ways that they're doing it is instead of streamlining people and trying to move them faster through the system, there are roadblocks that are being created all along mm-hmm. the way. And so in the Ileras, Instead of releasing people daily, they're holding people for weeks at a time. And this is on the Mexican side of the No, border. this is on the United States okay. side from El Paso to mm-hmm. Tucson to Brownsville. Yep. They're, they're holding people for weeks at a time and then releasing them in mass on the streets with no resources. And then people are scrambling. I mean, at one point... Every single um, shelter and hotel in El Paso was at capacity that they had to, like, move it to, like, Las Cruces and Albuquerque, other cities and states, because they were banking people, you know, and holding them for so long. And the conditions in which they are being held also is creating a crisis because they're malnourished. I mean, we had mothers that were talking about how they were begging for water because their breast milk was drying up and they were being mocked. And then as a result, their breast milk dried up and the babies were eating ramen noodles. This is happening in Border Patrol jails on U.S. soil. This isn't Mexico. This is the United States that that's happening to. And so that is... um, that is happening. Um, you have the, uh, you know, the the backlog in Mexico, and and in reality as well, we destabilize their countries. Our government policies, foreign policies, for years have destabilized their countries, mm-hmm. and so that's why there's this mass migration. But it's being made worse by these policies. Um, you know, we're 
not separating children in the same way that we were over this last summer, but now we're jailing families together in Border Patrol jails, what men, you, women, and children. What do you want to see change? What do you want to see change with immigration policy and, and the way things are being handled? Well, first, I mean, for me, you know, um, first thing they need to learn to do is recognize that we're dealing with human beings, right? Um, these are children. I looked at them babies, and, I, you know, I, I, you don't have time to cry because it's time to act. It's time to do something. My, when it was time to go down there, um, I was going to Occupy, and I was going to feed the occupiers one meal a day. And when we got there, it had to change. So it changed to assist and resist because we're still going to resist these unfair um, practices that the government use when dealing with our family from the other side of the border. But we got to make sure we take care of them too. Mm -hmm. So I spent every day in the kitchen like with huge pots cooking and making sure that, you know, I do what I can do and the rest of our crew did what they can do because we had a full crew in the kitchen every day. And we was making sure breakfast, lunch, and dinner was going to the people who needed to eat. That's what I do best. I cook. So, you know, um, that was, I was, I missed out on a lot of stuff because that's what I was doing. But I think that if they're going to start to do anything, recognize that these are humans on the other side of the border, right? And borders are man-made. And recognize that too, because there was no borders like way back when. So... The same people who's keeping people on the side of the border built borders. So I feel like borders should be coming down. I mean, people have a legal right to ask for asylum in this country. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, that is a legal right. And that right is not being honored. Um, and, the, you know, two weeks ago, they had men, women, and children under a bridge mm-hmm. with razor wire and fencing. People said that you could hear the sounds of children crying as you walked over the bridge from Mexico to the United States. And the, the, the encampment where they had them was on U.S. soil. Mm-hmm. How does that, you know, how does that happen? That happens because we have the president of the United States who went publicly and called people animals. That's where we're at. And so to fix it, first we have to recognize their humanity. Second, Mm -hmm. we have to recognize that they have a right to ask for asylum in this country. And they also have a basic human right to be treated with compassion and kindness Mm -hmm. and what we should be known for as a country of caring for human beings and giving them the basic needs. And we're not doing that. I don't know. It's a complicated question, but let's just start by recognizing their humanity. Let's start there. Well, Elizabeth, I know that you are an mm-hmm. artist and that you have used your art, you know, within your activism, within your protests, and uh, a process, what you call joyful rebellion. Mm-hmm. Did is, did that play at all in oh this? Oh, my gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it mm-hmm. did. Um, I believe that when you're acting on the, on the side of right, that the universe um, acts, in your, uh, acts in your behalf. And um, we had this big concentration camp of children with barbed wire and fencing, and we wanted to, like, get to the children. And there was a joke that was said is, like, how do you get over the fence without – Getting climbing over the fence, and lo and behold, at the art house food share, 
a stilt walker, a professional stilt walker, mm-hmm. comes to the door. And at, you know, in St. Louis at Art House, we had this vision of, um, you know, the stilt walker rising up above the fence. And I remember asking Regina, I was like, you know, it's sand. And she's like, oh, it's on my resume. <laughs> and so there was this moment where we had beautiful puppets. We had stilt walkers. We had music. We had sticks with ribbon that would rise above the fence. And to hear the children when the puppets and the stilt walkers popped up over the fence and to hear the children cheering like that's a different kind of resistance i say that Mm -hmm. the art is something that helps us you know reminds us of what we're fighting for instead of what we're fighting against and you know we had flowers and banners and um you know um a lot we had a christmas tree that was made out of water bottles that border patrol had slashed that had were left for migrants and we turned that into a beautiful christmas tree but that was also used as resistance and so the art was everywhere the banners were everywhere and man i tell you i have a new appreciation and eventually you're going to see um a stilt walker resistance in that. <laughs> I think every That's revolution needs be stilt walkers. That's be well, yeah. And Carolina, I'm wondering for you as a journalist, what what kind of access you had to people on on both sides of the border, and also, you know, what what you discovered. I mean, what was their spirit like? I spent most of the time there in Juarez, and I think one thing that was interesting was that. The shelter that I was at, it was being run by someone from the state that Juarez is in, the state of Chihuahua. And so, you know, the government there, the city officials in Juarez were trying to use their resources to house asylum seekers. And these are people who are not coming from Mexico mostly. There were people from Central America and Cuba. And the officials in Juarez were kind of like these are vulnerable people and we have to do something and we have to use our resources even though it's not our responsibility really because they're waiting here because the border patrol won't let them in so i thought that was really interesting they were kind of like really scrambling but really also trying to be really sensitive to women and children there were a couple of families that arrived at the shelter when i was there and it seemed like there wasn't going to be room for them And there wasn't, but the people running the shelter realized that because the families had children, they needed to do something and they found a way to make room for them. So there was a sense of of caring and responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And the same on the El Paso side. You know, it's not the government. It's folks of conscience who are like, we cannot allow this inhumanity to, to persist. And they're inundated on both sides of of the border. Well, Carolina, I know that your story aired this morning about St. Louis activists going to the border and sort of the the reaction and sort of acceptance of your activism and their activism there as well. And that your story is also on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Thank you all of you, Carolina and Elizabeth Vega and Mama Cat for coming in so much and being a part of this. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.